tech stuff done. Uh, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to, came to him at the temple and he healed them. But the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You have ordained praise. And he left them and went out to the city of the city to, to Bethany, where he spent the night. I've given a title to what I want to share this morning, and it's... Um, I've called it cleansing the temple. Now we um we all know that where God dwells these days is in the temple, but in the temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is us. And I just want you to think about now uh, ways which you cleanse uh, cleanse the um temple. When we um go about cleansing our bodies these days it often involves diet it often involves exercise it often involves meditation and i um it's it's a it's very important that we um have a have a good temple when it when it comes to where the holy spirit dwells in our in, in our lives and i want to focus in a little bit more on this as we um come to the end of the passage I've got three points that I want to bring out this morning. The first one is the temple. How important is it? The second one is the temple. What does it become? And then the third one, out of the mouths of babes. The temple, how important was it? We first um, read about the temple in the Bible about a year after the Israelites come out of exile when they're when they're um, under Mount Sinai, where, where Moses goes up, he receive, he meets with God, he meets, he receives the Ten Commandments. He um, comes down, he gets upset, he breaks them, he goes up again, he gets another Ten Commandments written in stone. And he also receives information about how to build the temple. Very specific instructions about how to build this temple the size of it what is in it in the tent of meeting what is actually in the tent of meeting the segregations of the tent of meeting we read about it in exodus from chapters uh, 25 through to 35 chapters is actually dedicated to the instructions of how to build this and where to place it and then there were five chapters at the end of Exodus from chapters 35 through to 40 when they actually do build it. We have a temple court, which is a certain size. And in that temple court, there is an altar and there is a huge bowl where the priests will come and they'll wash their hands in preparation to put in the sacrifices on the altar. There is a tent of meeting, which is a certain size again, 
and it is segregated by a curtain, a curtain which is more like plywood. It has several, has lots of layers to it. This is very thick. There is a, in this, in this tent of meeting, you have the holy place and then you have the most holy place. And in the most holy place, you have the Ark of the Covenant, which, which contains the um, Ten Commandments, which is overlaid with gold, which has angels on top of it, which are also overlaid with gold. And this is where the name of God dwelt. In the holy place, you have a lampstand, which has, which has oil on it, which they burn, burn night and day, just for a reminder of God's presence there with them. They would also burn incense in there so that it would be a nice smelling place. Before a priest could go from the holy place to the most holy place, there was a whole ritual or circumstance of things that he had to go through to make sure that he had the right to enter and that he was pure enough to enter, that God wouldn't instantly kill him because of, because of the sin which was in his life. And this whole temple had to be built in such a way that they could pick it up and they could move it, that they could pull it apart because they were wandering around in the desert for 40 years. So they had to constantly pull it apart and they had to rebuild it. It was placed right in the centre of their camp. So they were reminded on a daily basis that God was there with them, right in the middle of their camp. They had the different areas for different tribes would actually camp around this temple. And it stayed like this right through the time of Joshua and Judges. And it wasn't until King David came when King David actually started, he was known as someone who actually had a heart for God. And this started to concern him. Why am I living in a house of cedar when God is living under canvas? This can't be right. And then King David was prevented from, from building the temple because he was a man of blood, because he was a warrior, because he had killed too many people. So he had to wait for his son, Solomon. And Solomon, by this stage, he led a country which had the means, they were wealthy, and he had the wisdom, he had the knowledge. So he built an amazing temple which was famous throughout the whole world for its richness, for its size. And then it was destroyed by the Babylonians and the Egyptians and they carted off its wealth into their own countries. And then the temple was rebuilt when the Israelites came back from, from exile. And then it was destroyed again by the Romans. This temple, which was so central to the Jews and their whole culture, their whole relationship with their, with their God, still now lays in ruins. On the holy place where this temple was meant to be built in Jerusalem, there is a mosque. It doesn't stop the Jews from going there. There's, a, there's remnants of the, of the old temple there. And the Jews still go there and they still pray at the Wailing Wall. 
remember their God who dwelt amongst them. God always meant to be at the centre of their camp, centre of their lives. What is a temple? The temple, what has become of it? We enter this passage with Jesus coming into the outer court where the Gentiles would come, the outer court of the temple, a place where they would bring their animals for sacrifice and the priests would inspect their animals to see if they were good enough, if they were without fault, without blemish. How many animals do you think the priests would have found to be without fault and without blemish? How many animals are there without fault and without blemish? I'm sure if you look at any animal with a critical eye, you will find that there's a problem. And it was open. It was open to cor cor corruption. Oh, your animal here, it's got a spot on the fur. It's not good enough. I've, I've actually got one over here. Um, I'm, I can provide it for you, of course, at a cost. But mine is perfect. Mine is good enough to take away your sin. And these Jews will be coming in from quite a distance from other countries. So they wouldn't necessarily have the currency. So they'd have to have their money changed over. And we can provide that service for you as well. We can, we can change your money. Of course, it'll be at a cost. Instead of being a place where people came to offer their sacrifices and have their sins forgiven, it had become a place which is open to corruption, where the priests would scam the people. No wonder Jesus started to turn over the tables. These days, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't necessarily come. He doesn't come and dwell in our building in St. Clair if we ever get it up. But he dwells within us. How is your temple going? How is my temple going? Is it a place that reflects forgiveness? Is it a place that understands the sacrifice? Or is it a place which is open to corruption? I remember when I um, first became a Christian. I remember going to the job site on the Monday after the Sunday night when I actually was converted. And I told everyone, especially my workmates, and the news spread very, very quickly about what I'd done and about how they should do the thing. It was just part of me. It was just overflowing out of me. If I thought that, if I thought that anything needed to be done to improve my Christian walk, I would do it. I'd go to parties, I'd see Christians drinking, it would cause me to struggle. Not that, you know. If I heard them swearing, it would cause me to struggle. 
There was a passion there. As life's gone on, has gone on, I can see in my life that that passion is not there. I would not talk to people like I did back then about Jesus. It's a lot more measured. It's a lot more thought about. I believe a lot less powerful. Areas of my life, I'm sure, you know, there is compromise in there. It's interesting just to look through the Bible at some of the greats of the Bible. You look at King David, a man who had a heart for God. What happened to him in his old life as he as he grew older? When it came time to go to war, what did David do? He stayed at home and he got into trouble. What happened to Solomon in his older years? His heart got taken away by all his wives and his concubines. Jacob, Isaac, the list is full of them. There's a lot of warning there for us as we grow older. Our lives become, we get mellow, we compromise. If Jesus came into it, not that he's not in our temple, but inside our, our temple, is he turning over the tables? Or is he happy about what he sees? From the lips of children, my third point. Jesus comes into the temple, he turns over the tables and what's the next thing that he does? He starts to heal the sick and the blind and the lame. This is causing trouble for these people. You know, there's a group of, there's two groups of people in here. You've got a group of people who can see or think they can see, they claim they can see. And then you've got a group of people who can't see, but can see. You've got these, these priests and these people who run the place and all they can see when Jesus starts healing these people, well, these people really, they really shouldn't even be in here because they're, they're defiled, they're dirty, they're sick. And yet Jesus is going up to them and he's placing his hands on them and he's healing them. And he's identifying with them and he's making himself unclean. And then he wants to go into the temple further. Well, we can't really have that, Jesus, because you've just defiled yourself. And then you have these children and they start singing praise to Jesus. And they start through their songs, if you read into it further, claiming that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is causing, this is causing trouble. Those who should be able to see can't see, those who can't see can see. I was um, reminded again of my grandchildren through this, probably a place where grandpa, grandparents often go. You seem to see things through a whole different light. 
Now, I've shared this before, I think, that Shannon and Julie, because we do spend a lot of, Pauline does spend a lot of time, not me so much, but Pauline does spend a lot of time with Lucas and with Arto, because Shannon and Julie both work and, and Pauline does a bit of childcare. And they can see that Pauline has an influence on, on Lucas. So they have limited, they have said, we don't want you speaking to Lucas about Jesus and about God. We don't want you using your influence to, we want him to discover it himself. So we've honoured that. But the other day, Pauline was wandering down towards the dam with Lucas and they got a little track down there where they grab the truck and they get dirt and they cart it around and they spill it over and they have a whole lot of fun. And as they were walking, walking down there, um, Lucas noticed a tree that's down there. It's sort of laid over at about 45, 50 degrees. And it's a big tree. At some stage, you know, the ground must have been wet, the blue, wind blew and the thing laid over, but didn't fall. And since then, the roots have reattached and it's become very strong again. And Lucas said, Ma, Ma, how come the tree's laying over? And Pauline said, oh, I'm not sure, Lucas. I don't really know why. And he said, maybe God was trying to surprise us. Another thing that um, Pauline was doing with Lucas and Artois the other day was she took them up into the shed and she was um, doing a bit of craft with them and they were had a bit of cardboard and they were sticking the stars onto the cardboard and they're holding it up above their heads having a look at it. And um, Lucas said, Ma, you know that God can put the stars wherever he likes. Out of the mouths of babes. Those you shouldn't be able to see can see. Those you think they can see can't. How's your temple going? Is it full of compromise? Is he in there wanting to turn over the tables? Or is it a place singing songs to the Messiah, our Lord and Saviour? I'll just close off in a word of prayer. Lord, I just want to thank you for um, your surprises. We think we've got it all worked out. It works this way, it works that way, but really we've got no idea. We think we can limit you, but we can't. We think chances have been taken away, but they never have. Thank you that you, re you reach beyond all boundaries.
you're stretching to places even when you're not invited. I thank you that you are and will always be most powerful, Lord and Saviour. Amen.